Daniel chapter 8. It's great to have you all here today. We are a church, uh, especially those of you who are newer here, we are a church uh, that believes in Jesus Christ, Uh, not just that he existed, uh, he did exist, Uh, he was a man, he uh, was born, uh, born of a virgin, but uh, we believe in him. Uh, that his death, burial, and resurrection is enough for us. Uh, when I say enough for us, enough to cleanse us of our sins. Uh, our sins are many. Um, as I shared with the little ones here, that uh, we talk about the faithfulness of God because he's the one that's been faithful to send his son uh, that we might have life inside his son. Uh, we are believers in Jesus Christ. We meet here. Uh, weekly, not just weekly, but we have other Bible studies and stuff going on. And we meet uh, to encourage each other, to remind each other, uh, to fellowship, to have uh, encouraging times together uh, that we might be faithful walking with the Lord in this time and this day. What is this time and day? We're still trying to figure that out, right? Uh, Crazy times. Uh, We live in the midst of a changing world. Uh, a confusing world, I think is what Jeremy used the uh, word confusing, and it is. Uh, we struggle with what's going on. We uh, don't know what the future holds. <clears throat> and that's okay. And that's okay because we know the end. And we're going to be talking about that today from the book of Daniel, chapter 8. Uh, we live in a chaotic and deceptive world. Uh, where the truth is hard to uh, find, but it's even harder to identify when you find it, uh, of what is truly going on in our world right now uh, and what we are supposed to be doing in the midst of it. Um, I want to encourage you today that uh, I think there's much for us to understand and to learn from the book of Daniel. Uh, The book of Daniel is written as Daniel was a young man taken into captivity uh, and really for his whole life as a teenager, uh, he was taken into captivity. Now in our Daniel chapter 8, we have a time stamp that marks him as being in his late 60s. Some of you can relate. Uh, And this idea of living your whole life in chaos, your whole life behind enemy lines, your whole life not in your hometown, your whole life being under pagan kings. Uh, this is what this uh, Jewish young man, uh, is one of God's chosen, a follower of God, uh, this is where he lived. And so uh, I think as Daniel lived in a wicked time, and we're going to be looking at wickedness today, uh, we can relate. Uh, to living in a wicked time or things are not as we would like them or even think uh, is right and just. <clears throat> and so uh, we remember from the Word of God today that even in captivity, uh, God has not forgotten His people and He is continuing to work out His plan. And so uh, this is where we are today. I, I'd like to pray and just ask God's blessing on our time Uh, remember, apart from God, we can't understand his word, right? Okay, he's got a message for us. God, thank you for this morning. And we ask that you would open our eyes, help us to see clearly um, what you shared with Daniel and had Daniel write down for us. Uh, God, I I ask that you would encourage our hearts to remain faithful, uh, to walk with you closely during these days, that we would center our life around following you, the priorities that you would have us have, um, that we would uh, remain faithful even if the world spins out of control. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, we're just going to, I don't know how far we're going to get today, to be honest with you. I think uh, we're, this Daniel chapter 8, I I planned it for two uh, weeks, and so... um, this is what we're going to do today, uh, but there's a lot of information, and I'll try not to go long. I don't want the pot roast to turn uh, um, dry or anything like that, if anyone has a pot roast um, going on. Anyways, uh, Daniel chapter 8, uh, it starts like this. It says, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, uh, Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, 
after that uh, which appeared to me at first. Um, and I saw in the vision when I saw I was in Susa at the, cit- uh, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. Uh, I saw the vision and I, uh, I was at the Ulai Canal. Okay, so he sets up this, this vision as this, that Daniel is a man. Daniel's a man. Remember, the whole book of Daniel is kind of the chronicling of different events in his life as a teenager growing up and uh, being part of the king's, uh, king's uh, service. Uh, he connects different times and places and different uh, dreams and visions that uh, both the king has had and now that he is having. And last week... Uh, we looked at uh, his vision from chapter 7. Actually, we took a couple of weeks on that as well. Um, and this is another one. And it says, in the third year, in the third year, if you look back to chapter 7, uh, the first verse, it says, in the first year. Okay, so what he's doing is he's marking this in time. And he connects it with the king, King Belshazzar. Uh, if you remember back uh, to King Belshazzar, he had kind of... Uh, um, I don't know how to say this, but uh, he, he didn't do so well. If you look back, uh, chapter, we, we don't know much about him. In fact, uh, even history, uh, apart from the Bible, doesn't have a whole lot about him. He was probably fairly insignificant, but uh, he did reign, co-reign for a time. But if you look back to chapter 5, you remember back that uh, King Belshazzar was the guy who was partying it up, he was drinking, and uh, he was... Uh, mocking everything and he brought some of the the things that were taken from the temple and they were drinking out of them and they they thought that everything was fine and dandy and then there was a hand writing on the wall um, and that kind of ruined the party for him uh it just you know they had everything they thought they knew what they were doing and then all of a sudden what is going on they call for daniel and daniel says uh, your kingdom is going to be taken from you this night, this night. And that's what happened. So that was the end of Belshazzar's reign. And so we assume uh, first and third year of his reign was prior to this, prior to this. And so the third year probably was closer to the end. Uh, we don't know how long he reigned. Uh, so we get into the third year of the reign of King uh, Belshazzar. And he says, a vision appeared to me. And as you look at Daniel, you realize that God is speaking to him in a vision. He's wanting to show him, to show him some things that are going to happen in the future. Now, uh, when you love somebody, you care about them. I think of parents doing this for children. I think of uh, even siblings and uh, friends and wanting to prepare things for the things to come. There's a lot of different ways you prepare people and a lot of different reasons. But this particular reason is, uh, I really think of it as two or threefold, okay? That, that first of all, he's, he's wanting to say, I haven't forgotten you. Why would Daniel think that he had been forgotten? Because he's lived his whole life. Lived his whole life, his whole adult life, I should say, uh, in captivity, and that it, it was pagan king after pagan king. Right? They were doing their own thing, and even as we see uh, in Belshazzar's life, he was mocking God, and we're going to see again another king mocking God today. And you you look at this and you say, well, how can wickedness go on? Um, this is the question, the difficult question. Um, that God doesn't really answer for us in a sense that uh, he doesn't say, I tell you exactly why I'm doing every little thing here. But I know this, know this, that it's very clear, especially from the book of Daniel, that wickedness will not go on forever. There will be a judgment day. There will be an end to it. And so as we look at this this morning, know, know that Daniel's being encouraged that this won't go on forever. He's also saying, it's not just that he, he, I haven't forgotten you, it won't go on forever, is that I have a plan, that God has a plan. Uh, I think often we look at uh, plans. How many of you are planners, by the way? How many of you love to plan? You just love it. You just love it. Uh, you almost love planning more than living, right? You, 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 planning is living for you, right? Uh, uh, the problem with that is that uh, God's not really interested in your plan. Uh, it's not that he's not interested. He wants you to plan to follow him. 
and let him take the plan, right? Um, and so sometimes our plans are coincide with what God's doing, and sometimes they don't. Um, and just know this, that if they don't, it's okay. It's good, because God is good, and he's working out his plan for you and in the course of eternity. And so as we look at this, we realize that God, even in, his, uh, even in wickedness of men, is working out his plan. Um, and so in, in that, that he's being faithful. Okay, so uh, as Daniel is receiving this vision from God, uh, he writes it down for us. And uh, I want to tell you again, uh, chapter 7 had a bunch of these little things about Daniel. And if you look to the end of chapter 8, I, I don't want to skip ahead, but let's do it anyways. Um, at the end of chapter 8, verse 27, it says, And I, Daniel, was overcome, and I lay sick for some days. Then I arose, and I went about the king's business. That was my job. But I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. Okay? So uh, throughout the book of Daniel, at least these chapters and in the chapters to come, Daniel lets us know that these are kind of freaking him out as well. In fact, this one made him sick for days. Um, yeah, it's not just for days, you know, so he's sick for days and, um, it appalled him what he had seen and he struggled to understand all that God was going to do. So, uh, he sees himself in this vision at a particular place. Uh, it was not ba- uh, Babylon. It was Susa, a different area, but at a, uh, a citadel or a palace, a place of refuge and strength, okay, and on the banks of this particular river, which was probably a man-made river that was for irrigation. This is where he saw this vision, or uh, know this, uh, so it probably was that he saw himself in the vision, not that it matters to us here today, but that he probably wasn't there, like he traveled there and then he had the vision, but probably in his mind as he saw himself, uh, you uh, can picture yourself in different places. This is what he did. Um, this is what God did in his life. And so um, we look and we see in verse 3, he says, I raised my eyes and saw, and this is kind of his uh, method of saying what he sees in these visions. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. As you, uh, w- w- the first animal, uh, I would say that he saw is a ram, is a ram. And really, he's going to see two animals. And then we're going to talk about horns, okay? Uh, The first one is a ram. He says, I raised my eyes and I saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. Um, We've already seen uh, this, this picture of animals being what? Animals being kingdoms, different kingdoms. And these different kingdoms... Uh, started out with Nebuchadnezzar, and then from Nebuchadnezzar and Bab- Babylonian kingdom went to the Medes and the Persians, which went to the Greeks, which went to the Romans. All these different empires, and empires have kings. Empires have kings, and so it's kings and kingdoms over and over again. And so uh, he goes back to this picture, and they're a little different as. God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, and then he was translated through Daniel, and then Daniel got some uh, visions in this first year of Belshazzar. Now the third year, uh, he has this different vision, and it's of a ram standing on the bank of the canal, and it had two horns, and both horns were high. Okay, you're picturing this, right? Some of you are thinking of elk, but that's not uh, what this is. Uh, you got these, uh, t- the ram with two horns, two horns, and they're high, they're large. Um, but it says in the middle of verse three, it says, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. And so you picture this growing, uh, they're both growing to be tall, and one came up last that was higher. Um, he says, I, I before I go, go on, some of you are thinking of open season right now, right? Um, I think it's an animated movie where there's, you know, I don't know if it was a deer or elk or something like that that only had one horn. We're going to get to one horn. But anyways, um, it says specifically of this king and kingdom, this ram standing there. Uh, verse 4, he says, I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. 
Um, as you see this, uh, you realize that this ram is going about these three different ways from where they are. Um, conquering, I, I would even say that. Um, saw the ram charging uh, westward, northward, and southward. And it says this, No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. We picture this ram going in three different directions. Uh, you can guess that to be expanding their territory. It's a king and kingdom, right? And so if it's going out, where is it going? To these three different directions. And what does it say of the other animals that encountered it? No other animal could stand up to the ram, and no one could rescue from the ram. It says of this ram that he did as he pleased and became great, and became great. And so, as we think about this, and later on in the chapter, it'll be more clear uh, which king and kingdom this is. This is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians. And what happened, and it's hard for us to get this right now. So, um, who's the greatest world power of our day? I always like asking questions like that in difficult times like this because you're saying, I want to say the U.S. of A., but I don't know about China and Russia. Is weird? And Iran, what's going on over there anyways, you know? Um, and Israel, is, I don't know, but like, you know, and so uh, um, anyways, just, just know this. I, I think that it's important for us to remember that we're in a time and a place and things uh, may seem out of control, but that was true in Bible times as well, right? Um, but, but the picture here is this. These kingdoms were indisputable as the world power. And, and really, they took over the world. They kind of claimed the world. Uh, there were places that weren't under uh, the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks and the Romans. It's just because they hadn't gotten there yet, right? Uh, it wasn't about... That, uh, that they were autonomous and world powers and they were, it was that they just hadn't gotten there yet. And so uh, we see these kingdoms, we see this first one being the Ram, the Medes and the Persians, which mo- gets us to verse 5. Um, he says, as I was considering, behold, a male goat. And so, so there's this picture of a ram, a ram being there, a ram that had conquered uh, these three directions. Nobody could stand up. He did as he pleased. That's a, uh, that's a funny phrase too, right? The, the idea, did as he pleased. Uh, these kingdoms were so great and these kings so great that they just did whatever they wanted because no one could stop them. Uh, which is great uh, when he's a great king of more, loves his people, serves his people, but when he's selfish and proud, it's terrible to be under a king like that. So anyways, uh, did as he pleased and became great. Secondly, we find a, a he-goat or a male goat or a buck. Okay, uh, Verse 5, as I was considering, behold, a male goat came up from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn, stick with me, um, uh, between his eyes. Uh, he came to the ram, uh, to the ram with two horns, which he had been standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. Verse seven: I saw him come close to the to the ram, and he was enraged against him, and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there uh, was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Uh, The goat became exceedingly great. uh, But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Okay, a lot there, a lot there. And it gets confusing. I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. Um, This was not meant to be simple for us. It wasn't meant to be simple. It's not that God didn't want to uh, uh, communicate with us, but if he wanted to communicate it in uh, a simple cartoon-like fashion, he would have, right? But he gave this picture to Daniel, and it was meant to be, I don't want to say confusing, 
But it was meant to be for Daniel terrifying. Terrifying. And why? Why? Because he was preparing us, Daniel, them. He was preparing us for difficult days. And he was uh, reminding us that, that he knows and we don't. So he comes to this second animal, this buck, and he says this, a male goat. Uh, uh, he, he says, uh, from the west came to face uh, across the face of the whole earth. He, he makes this picture of the whole earth. As I talked to you earlier, these kingdoms were uh, indisputable in their world power. And it says, without touching the ground, a picture, that's a kind of a funny picture, right? This, this uh, um, goat is coming and he's not touching the ground. It's probably a picture of speed. If you look back to the other um, animal that was equated with this next kingdom, it was a leopard, uh, leopard and uh, uh, known for its speed. And so we get this picture of speed again. It came in with speed um, the middle of verse 5, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. Uh, that word conspicuous is uh, a word that, uh, it, like a prominent horn. And it's kind of a, a weird picture, but you have this goat with this, this prominent horn. It's a unicorn of sorts. You know, it's coming out. And it, it's coming in a, uh, uh, this, this particular goat uh, with this particular horn, uh, magnificent horn, uh, prominent is different. It's meant to be thought of as different and different from all other. If you look back to, you really see throughout the book of Daniel, horns are connected with kings. Kings, okay? So you have the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, which brings us to the, the kingdom of the Greeks. Uh, and, and who do you think this prominent horn is? Uh, most likely Alexander the Great. This prominent horn, it's not one of two horns or two kings, um, but one, and you look back to the ram, I should have said this before, Medes, Persians, right? Two horns, right? And one more significant than the others. Um, and really looking to Cyrus. I know there's a lot of, a lot of details here. Anyways, um, a uh, conspicuous horn or prominent horn, um, and this being Alexander the Great. Which brings us, um, wh- what you want to get out of this is that he came uh, to the ram with two horns, which had been standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him with his powerful wrath. Uh, he went out this other kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, verse 7, I saw him come close to the ram and enraged against him and struck the ram, broke his horn, his two horns. So the Medes and the Persians are down, and the ram had uh, the ram had no power to stand before him, but he was he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And I guess that's the picture as we look at these two horns. Uh, they're destroyed. Medes and the Persians are gone. And they're trampled down. And as you think through uh, what Alexander the Great did, he crushed. Uh, and in these cities, they were sacked and pillaged. They were not uh, left. Uh, just uh, hey, we'll we'll just take if you if you give up to us, you know, if you uh, concede, we'll be fine. But he crushed them. He crushed them uh, in in quick order. And so uh, you see this empire of the Greeks. Uh, what, is it, what does it say about them? As we walk through the scriptures, it's important for us to let the scriptures speak. Um, it, in like concluding this kingdom or what this male goat had done, uh, it says once again at the end of verse 7, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power, uh, the goats. Uh, verse 8, then the goat became exceedingly great. Uh, if you compare that to the previous animal, the ram, it says it became great. Now it's exceedingly great. It's more than great. It was uh, more than the last. And, and this is what you get in picture of history. I, I think this is obvious, but uh, a kingdom rises. A kingdom rises and is great and is great. And it, for a time, uh, has success and greatness. And then what happens? Someone greater comes after. Someone greater comes after. 
And so this is uh, the, both the logical conclusion, but also the picture of Scripture that you have the Medes and the Persians and what happens to them. They're great for a time. And then uh, the Greeks come, Alexander the Great uh, and the, the kings after him. And it, makes, it becomes exceedingly great, exceedingly to the Medes and the Persians. Exceeding the Medes and the Persians. Um, wh- what you see here, there's some interesting uh, things. I don't know how helpful they are for you, but um, in verse 8 it says, Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Which great horn? The great horn uh, of the goat. Okay. And who was that? Alexander the Great. And if you study his life, he dies at a fairly young age. I think it was 32 um, that he was gone and he was replaced. And um, what you see, once again, horns being kings, uh, that one horn, uh, significant, prominent horn, gives way to, in verse 8, it says the great horn was broken, Alexander the Great, middle of verse 8, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns, four distinct uh, kings again toward the four winds of heaven. And four winds of heaven you've seen before. It's kind of the picture of uh, from each side coming together, the four winds across the earth. You have four kings, okay? I know this is a lot. Verse 8, verse 8. Uh, so we go from... The goat that has one horn, Alexander the Great, now Alexander's gone. There's four horns, four kings. Um, and we come to verse 8. Uh, it says this, Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, we already went over this, but it, this is, connects, connects us to the next point. Uh, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead came up four conspicuous horns toward the w- four winds of heaven. Verse 9. Out of one of them came a little horn. So there's four new kings, and out of one of them came a little horn. And for those of you who've been here a couple of weeks, when you see little horn, you go, oh, that's the Antichrist. That was the last chapter. He's talking about the Antichrist. And I want to tell you, it probably isn't the Antichrist, but a type of of the Antichrist, like a, a, a picture or a, another example. Remember in the New Testament, the book of First John, John describes that, that uh, there will be the spirit of Antichrist, but also Antichrists will come, ones that aren't the, the final one or the one spoken of in the book of uh, Revelation, okay? And it says this, um, so you see these four conspicuous horns towards the four winds of heaven, and out of the four, a little horn comes. Uh, this little horn, if you look at it, it's very similar. And what we're going to he- hear uh, in this passage, it's very similar to what Antichrist is going to do, spoken of in chapter 7. Um, let's look at verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. It, it says this. Um, in verse 9... Uh, it, it, it reads like this: Out of, out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great. Once again, using that word "exceedingly great," not just great, towards the south, towards the east, and towards and toward the glorious land. When um, he speaks of the glorious land, he's really talking about uh, the promised land, the the land of God's people. Uh, He's not talking about the rest of the world, but uh, he is great in God's glorious land. And and you look at this, and as you you consider, this is a Greek kingdom. This is not uh, a godly uh, following after uh, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. This is not the God of the Bible. Um, uh, He's not a follower of the God of the Bible. And so you see uh, that he grew great exceedingly great um, throughout the whole land and especially in the glorious land that was meant for God. Palestine, uh, the land of God's people. Now, I want to slow down here for a minute. Um, So when you study the Bible, the Bible is not a history book. 
but it's not not a history book either, right? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And as we look at this, we realize there's tons of history in the Bible. But it was written for God to reveal Himself and to share with His people His message. And so part of this, what we're reading this morning, is God revealing Himself to us, but also uh, sharing with us His message. As we look at this this morning, uh, we see um, that this goes into a history. And as you look at history of, of Greece, you know there's a wicked king called Antiochus Epiphanes. And as you line up these events that we're going to look at, you realize that these events are speaking of him, of him. And so if you put this together, you have chapter 7 talking about the Antichrist that is to come and chapter 8 talking about an Antichrist that has come and what he's going to do and what he's going to do and how that connects to what will happen in the end. Well, what do, uh, some have said of uh, Antiochus Epiphanes that he is uh, the Antichrist of the Old Testament. <laughs> Um, and effectively, he steps into that role of the little horn of chapter 7 and provides himself someone that they could see who's the supervillain uh, that's a type of the Antichrist that is to come. So what does he do? Um, let's walk through it. Um, so he grows great. Um, he grows great and even uh, to the hosts of heaven. And some of the hosts of heaven, this is verse 10, uh, and some of the hosts of heaven and some of the stars threw down, uh, it, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. As it speaks of this host of heaven or God's people, the Israelites, it talks of them of a special uh, crushing of them and a special persecution of God's people. This is what he did. As uh, we read from history that... Uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, what his method was, he wanted them to uh, follow after his gods, the Greek gods, right, of Zeus and others, and abandon their way of worshiping. And this is all about worship. What we're getting into here is all about worship. And uh, let me just ask you a question. Why does worship matter? Why does worship matter? Um, I think it's in our secular culture, uh, if you were to describe yourself and someone says, well, tell me about yourself. And you say, oh, man, I, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I, this is my church that I go to. I go to this church and I go to worship there. I go to fellowship with God's people. And they, say, they stop you and they say, no, 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 no. That's just your religion. Uh, tell me something about you, about your personality and the things you love. And so as a culture, I think we see worship as an extra or something that doesn't matter. I want to tell you that as we look at what God says, he says the worship uh, worship is uh, the most important thing, worship of me. And so as we look at this, we realize there's, um, this is significant in, in the sense of what's going on here and what Antichrist will come and do. Uh, it will be all about worship. So what do we see? Um, if you look down at, uh, at verse 10, uh, first you see the, the persecution or the crushing of some of God's people, the Jews. And so there's a persecution. This is what he did. He was, he was seeking to uh, change their, their worship from the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, uh, they were seeking to change worship, that worship, unto the gods of the Greeks. Which brings us to verse 11. It became great, meaning this little horn, it became great, even as great as the prince of the hosts. Uh, this reference here is most likely to God the Father. God the Father. And and what what's a struggle for us to get is... Is this king greater than God the Father? No, 
But what, uh, what happened for a time is that because of his rule as king, he exalted himself. He lifted himself up over even God. Even God. You start to see what an offense this is. And I think it's important for us to... I, I, I think as I look at these things I shared with you about Daniel and how he struggled with these pictures of Antichrist, and now in chapter 8, uh, and he says he was sick for days... I, I realize that for me, it's hard to understand how wicked this is. It's hard for me to grasp uh, the, the holiness of God and the wickedness of man. Uh, but I think that's, in a small way, what God desires to communicate to us in chapter 8. Verse 11, great uh, even as great as the Prince of Hosts. And, and then he starts talking about offerings, um, burnt offerings. And, and he says, And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. Uh, I, I think as this connects, it's kind of clumsy in the wording, uh, in the translation. But him being the Prince of Hosts, him being the, our Father God, uh, that the regular burnt offering that was brought before God was taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. Uh, one of the, the concepts that's brought in in chapter 7 is the abomination of desolation. Uh, the defiling of the temple. And in a, a certain way, we see in chapter 8, and we're going to see further in chapter 8, this idea of the desecration of the temple. The ruining and the sacrilegiousness and the blasphemous uh, uh, Actions that are taken against the temple. And what, what is that again? The worship of God. The worship of God. Uh, I, I want to tell you that it's hard for us to get, but worshiping God is meant to be the, the heart of our life, the, 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 the center of our lives. That we are designed to be worshipers and for us to worship God and God alone. And so as we look at this, we realize this is at the center uh, of the ugliness of this, uh, this king that is to come, Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, as you see this, you, you realize that these offerings are taken away from uh, the one true God and the sanctuary is overthrown. It's overtaken. Uh, it's now treated as just another building or just another place. In verse 12, you say, And a host will be given over to it together with regular uh, burnt offerings because of the transgression, transgression, and it will throw uh, truth to the ground, and it will, act in pro, uh, it will act and prosper. What you get there, once again, this language is rough, but um, in verse 12, you have a replacing of the worship of the one true God with this king now replacing uh, the one true God with himself, with himself. The bringing of sacrifices to himself, the bringing of uh, um, worship to himself and to the Greek gods. Verse 13. Then I heard, um, and, and you can imagine that this, the, the wording here, uh, kind of gives the picture of a vision maybe the previous ones being like a dream this is the picture of like a daytime vision this is not asleep and i'm you know i'm seeing things but like i'm fully aware but i'm seeing things happening that god is showing to me uh these things had to have been terrifying just the, even the way we get them and then daniel's response to them Verse 13, then I heard a, a, the holy, a holy one speaking and another holy one said uh, to the one who spoke. We connect these most likely to angels. For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offerings and the transgression that makes desolate and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? How long? How long? This is a question, isn't it, of evil? of wickedness, of how long. Um, I, I don't find myself to be a naive person. 
Uh, I don't think of myself, I, you know, I'm not this streetwise. I grew up in the, you know, I grew up in the rough parts of Santa Barbara, you know, in the hood, the wrong side of the 101 freeway, in the avocado orchard, you know. Uh, I, I don't find myself to be that guy, but I want to tell you, um, I am surprised by wickedness. Today, I am surprised by wickedness. Uh, when, when I hear of things and read of things, I'm even to the point sometimes of going, that can't be true. Nobody can be that wicked. Nobody can be that dumb. No, nobody can be that twisted. You know, I, I, I struggle with that. And yet, as I read Scripture, and as I realize things that have gone on in the past, and, and as I look at what, what the picture is in different parts in this particular part, I, I'm shocked by it. I'm shocked by it. I'm, I'm shocked by it in Scripture, but I'm also shocked by it in real time right here. I, in our world today, I, I struggle with this. And the question, when we really get a clear picture of wickedness in our world or in history or in the future, the question comes up, how long is this going to go on? How, how long? And as you understand a holy God that has a plan, I want to encourage you to remember and to factor that in all the time that there has to be an end. There has to be an end. That God in His holiness will not allow wickedness to go on forever, nor will He, uh, in His justice, not bring about a, a righteous conviction or a righteous judgment and punishment. He, he, he will. He will. And so it... This question comes as these two angelic uh, beings enter into this vision of Daniel. The question comes up, how long will these things happen? These, these burnt offerings going to the one who isn't God. How, how will these transgressions that are ruining the temple, how long will they go on? And, and this picture of this wickedness going on in the place that's supposed to be worshiping uh, for worship of God, how long, and God's people being trampled underfoot, how long is it going to happen? Verse 14, he says this, And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings. And you say, well, what does that number mean? Uh, after studying it, I've come to the conclusion that I don't know. Um, there's a few different options, and, and some have tried to uh, connect this with the tribulational time, and others connect it, um, you know, try to split it with, it's really only half that number, because morning and evening uh, um, sacrifices, um, and others still, and this is probably where I would land, is that this was the time or the period of the reign of this wicked king. Uh, that this was the time that he reigned and that his particular reign was 2,300 um, mornings and evenings of this sacrific sacrificial system to himself and the other gods. I want to I connect two things and really uh, just highlight them for a moment. First of all, this is picturing what the abomination of desolation is going to be. Uh, it's the, the ruining of the worship of the one true God. The ruining of it. Both the temple, but also the sacrifices and the blasphemy that goes along with it. This is what it is. This is the picture of it. It's taking that which is sacred and, and, and seeking to ruin it with mockery. 
And mockery being not just worship of something else, but worshiping of something that is not worthy, not even close. And so uh, this is what it is. The abomination of desolation is pictured here. Secondly, I want to say this, and I, I rejoice with this. Days numbered. Days numbered. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, couples that are seeking to get married. Uh, they say, oh, it's this many days till we get married. They're excited about it. Or a couple having a baby, and so they say, oh, it's due in this time. They, they're, they're numbering it, right? Uh, kids getting out of school, right? Only this many days left. There's always a number. And what does that number mean? It represents that difficult things can't go on forever. That uh, there will be a time, there will be an end. And as we see this, we realize that 2,300 is a big number. But it is a number. It is a number. And the days are numbered. The days of wickedness are numbered. Um. And then I want to I want to show you this because I think this is great, and I see Daniel doing this for us under uh, the inspiration of God over and over again. Uh, what does it say um, in, in the end of verse fourteen? And it seems not out of place, but it, it doesn't tell us a whole lot, but it tells us something important. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Then then that's what will, what will happen. And what I want you to get is this. Uh, there's kings and kingdoms. There's kings and kingdoms. The Medes and the Persians, and they got taken over. And uh, their, their pagan, whatever was going on there, that was replaced by Alexander the Great and the Greeks that came after. There were four other kings, and out of those four kings, it became one. It was probably Antiochus Epiphanes, and uh, he did some incredibly wicked things. But I want to tell you that even in God's plan, that his days were numbered. And then what? Either the ruining of the temple, and then what? There's going to come a time where God, in his plan and in his strength, uh, there's this picture, there's this picture of him stepping in and then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Rightful state. And, and I want to tell you that question that the angels were struggling over, right? Well, when's this all going to be over? This, this looks like it's out of control. This wickedness isn't right. When is it going to be over? Oh, there's a time. There's a time. And after that time, what will happen? Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Well, um, that's where we're going to stop today. I have a few concluding thoughts. But we will pick up the interpretation of this vision, get some more details uh, for it in the verses 15 through the end next week, Lord willing. But let me give you some... uh, Three thoughts as we conclude our time together. As for God's people, we're believers in, the G- in Jesus Christ, His gospel, the only gospel that saves. What are some thoughts to take out of this? The first one is this. Emperors or empires and kings are great. They are great, but they're not that great. <laughs> but they're not that great. Um. We're the most powerful nation on the face of this earth. Maybe today, but maybe not tomorrow, right? And, you you know, there might be an overthrow of this country or that country, and there might be rulers of the world. And that may be powerful and great, but not that great, but not that great. That all these things have a weakness and a time and a shelf, I would even say a shelf life, Right? that in time that they will come and go. They will not prevail in the end. Emperors, em- Empires and kings are great, but not that great. Second thing is this, to remember that wickedness is for a time, but will end. It's for a time, but will end. And I, I, I don't want to say this. I don't want to say that, you know, um, 
uh, wickedness has its purpose, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's part of the enemy's plot. It's part of his desire of, of ruining and, per, uh, you know, causing to be perverse our culture and our people and wicked people doing wicked things. Wickedness is not good, um, it's, but it's just for a time and it will end. It will end and we can rejoice and take hope in that. Uh, when we see wickedness in this life and when we see wickedness in the history of the Bible and the history of our time, we can, we can look at those things and we can say, say, yeah, wickedness will end. It's just for a time. And then lastly, I would say this, antichrists will come, but in the end will go as well. <laughs> will go. Um, I rejoice as I see uh, a powerful ruler, really, of the known world at that time doing wicked things, not just doing wicked things to people, which he was, God's people specifically, uh, and, but also mocking the God of the universe, mocking the God of creation. And you look at that and you go, oh, you know, he, he is shaking his fist in the face of God. He was an antichrist. Yeah, they will come, but they will also go or come to an end. This is what we rejoice in, in the midst of understanding and seeing wickedness in this life, is to know that Antichrist will come, but they will also go. This is what we uh, take comfort in, in these days, but also as we look towards the future. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. I pray that as we sort through this in our own minds, that we would not become fearful, but that uh, in seeing clearly that uh, wild things will happen and have happened in history, that we would know that you are in control and that we can trust in you and you are faithful. You're faithful to your character and the working out of your plan, but you're also faithful to your people and you're protective of us, and you're compassionate, and you're good, and you're kind, and you're merciful, and you're eternal, uh, that you might cause our life, our soul to be eternal as well. God, we thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.